couple of years. Uh, uh, it's gone by very quickly, but I'm really, uh, I was really excited to hear from uh, Pastor Tim that uh, it'd be an opportunity for me to come back, and um, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, I love singing out of the, the hymnal. It uh, brings back memories from when uh, I was a kid growing up at Gray Road, and um, that's how I learned to read music. Uh, as I I started with the top line, and then as I got older and my voice got lower, I finally eventually worked my way down to the bass line, which was a very exciting day for me. I still remember that. But um, uh, I appreciate uh, uh, that, um, you know, sometimes things don't go as planned, and uh, we trust in the providence of God, and um, and that was, a, that was a blessing this morning. Uh, I, if you don't know me, I'm Kevin Shingleton. Uh, we, I have a connection to this church, a, long, a long-standing connection, in that Pastor Lockwood was my uh, pastor for most of my life, and uh, he spent his, uh, some of his last years serving this congregation. And, uh, and I, I will say, though, that we have a, another connection to this church now, in that um, Isaac and Aubrey Shell over here um, moved up here to Muncie. They actually uh, were at Gray Road when they were in Indianapolis, and, um, and we, uh, we love them, and we're a little bit jealous of you guys now because uh, we miss them. Uh, but uh, they are going to be an amazing uh, asset to this church. So um, uh, get to know them if you haven't already, all right? And they were actually in Indy last week and got to hear me preach last week. So um, I'm pretty sure after this week, you'll, you'll be ready for another two-year break. <laughs> but uh, uh, we, um, we're, we're grateful for the bond that we have in Jesus and how that brings us all together, all right? I appreciate uh, Brother reading that really long uh, text uh, this morning. Uh, uh, obviously, we can't go deep into every single verse um, unless uh, you want to be here for dinner. And um, But it is, a, it is amazing uh, text. And uh, as I get started this morning, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the phrase, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase, unity in diversity? Anybody ever hear that phrase? If you're in the corporate world, you hear that phrase a lot. And... Um, and while I, I don't always agree with the context in which that phrase is used, the principle of that phrase of that phrase is pretty sound. Now I work with a team of people at my job, and um, and I had a chance to recruit some of them to work with me. And, and when I was doing that, I didn't look for people that that were exactly like me. I mean, a, a team full of Kevin's wouldn't have been that great. Uh, I was looking for people that. Uh, were different from me, that, that had different skills and different backgrounds and different educations, and they thought differently. They even interacted with people uh, differently, and they, they had different strengths and weaknesses. And, and so we brought together that team, a very diverse team from all those aspects. And, and when you put that under strong leadership and a single purpose, it's a very powerful thing. And um, you might think that that's just a secular concept, unity and diversity, but um, it is actually a foundational principle of the Christian faith, starting with the Godhead itself, right? God is three distinct persons, three distinct roles, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and yet one God, unity and diversity. Now think about the scriptures. Has there been an, ever been a book that, that's more diverse than the scripture? 66 books, many writers over many centuries, different styles, different genres, different languages, and yet 
there's a beautiful unity in the scriptures because there's one author. There's one story, right, that points us uh, to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. And finally, the, the, the place we see unity and diversity, I think, most clearly is in the church. And I don't know everybody in this church, but I'm going to guess you all come from different places and different backgrounds and different upbringings and different education, different family situations, different stages of life, different spiritual journeys. And yet, you bring all these people into one family, one church family, one body. And if you put it under the, the, the purpose of the scriptures, how, why God brought this church together, there's a beautiful unity that comes from that diversity. And it makes you more than the sum of your parts. And this church can accomplish so more, so much more together than individually. And uh, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12 this truth of unity in diversity when it comes to the spiritual gifts. And here's the main idea that we're going to see this morning. God gives Christians diverse gifts to unify and serve the church to accomplish his purpose. And I know we're jumping right into chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, so it's important to understand the background of what's going on in this church. Listen, if you're a teacher or a preacher or if you're teaching or speaking truth into someone li someone's life from the scriptures, you need to take time to understand what's the context of this chapter. The, the, the fastest path to false teaching or misinterpretation is not understanding the text that you're in. Understanding the background of 1 Corinthians is really important to understanding why Paul is, is saying the things that he's saying. And so there's four things about the background that are really helpful for us uh, as we look at 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. The first is this, that in Corinth there was a very strong class system where you had the upper class and the, really there wasn't really a middle class. There was kind of an upper class and a lower class and then a slave class. And uh, the, the Corinthian people in this church were bringing that class mentality into the church. And so you had the, you know, the, the higher-ups, and guess what? They had all the cool gifts, and then you had the, the lower-class people that either didn't have a gift or the gifts they, have, they had really didn't matter. And that was causing, obviously, problems in this church. And Paul is confronting this. The second thing, uh, as far as the background, that's important to understand is that they were pagans. He says, you were pagans, and they're bringing this pagan religious mentality into the church. And there's a couple ways that are really important to see. The first is that if you were in Corinth, you had your, your choice of many gods. And when you would choose the god that, that you were going to follow, uh, that god would become your lord. You would declare allegiance to that lord, and then you would ask that god to curse other gods as a sign of your allegiance. And you can see how that might inform Paul's uh, language here in his introduction in verse 3, and we'll talk about that. The second part of the pagan practice that they were bringing in is that they were chasing something in Corinth uh, in their religious uh, system called, uh, Plato called it divine frenzy or divine madness, where they would give themselves over to their gods to the point that, that they, they gave their bodies and their minds over to these gods to the point that they would lose control of their physical movements and they would lose control of their speech and just ramble random things, unintelligible things in their speech. 
And what they believed was that the more out of control you were, the more spiritual you were because you had given yourself over to this God. Now, you can imagine what kind of problems that would cause in a church, especially when you're, you're thinking about something like the gift of tongues. And so Paul is confronting this in this church because this church is obsessed uh, with the gift of tongues. They have lifted that gift above all the others. And uh, it's becoming a problem. He's going to deal with that actually very specifically in chapter 14. Uh, but he deals with it generally here in this chapter as well. And so all these things together are bringing division, confusion, disorder in the church. And uh, Paul is saying this should not be. And, and it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, these guys were, were scrambling before the service to get the, uh, the, the technology working. And, and uh, you never notice these guys until they make a mistake, right? And, uh, and yet, what they're doing uh, brings order uh, to the service and brings clarity uh, by the visual aids, right? And so these are all important things in the church. Paul is saying the Corinthian church is chaotic. It's confusing. And, and so he's, he's going to educate them on, you know, this is not from the Spirit if that's what's happening in your church. Paul is most concerned with this one thing in the Corinthian church. He begins in, in uh, chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. Really, the, the there's only one word there in the Greek. It's concerning the spiritual. Paul is, is confronting them on the fact that they cannot discern what is from the Spirit of God and what is not. And that is what's causing the disorder and the confusion. And so what, what Paul is going to give them in this text is, is five different principles that help them discern whether something is from the Spirit or not. These are very timely in the first century, but they are timeless principles that still apply in 2024. And I, I think you'll, you will find these very helpful when it comes to talking about really anything spiritual, uh, especially the spiritual gifts. And I think we'll see those very clearly. And the first principle that we see actually comes in his introduction in verse uh, 3 where he says this very, if you don't know the background, this seems very unusual. That I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's been a lot written about this verse. If you understand the background about their, their gods and, and their system, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But there's been a lot written about this as to why Paul would say that and what, what was underneath all of that. But there's really a very simple principle that Paul is trying to communicate to them. Church, if you want to know some, if something is from the Spirit of God or not, the first principle is very simple. Is Jesus being exalted or not? That, that principle still applies today. Is Jesus being exalted or not? And we'll go through some examples later on. We'll see how practical this is. But uh, so, so he's saying that obviously if somebody is, is speaking from the Spirit, they're not going to say Jesus is accursed. But they can't say Jesus is Lord except through the Spirit. So that's the first principle. Is Jesus exalted or not? And we're gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these principles up in the corner here, and, and we're going to see the five as we go through this text. So take, make note of those. These are very practical, and we'll see uh, that as we go further, all right? So what we're going to do in this text is we're actually going to do two brief passes through the text. We're going to look at the diversity 
of the gifts and why that is so important. And then we're going to look at the unity of the gifts and, of course, why that is so important as well. And so we start with the diversity of the gifts. And the reason this is so important is that the diversity of the gifts ensures three different things in the church. And, and in verse 4, he's, he's talking about, he says, there's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. There's varieties of activities, but it is the same God. Uh, Paul is saying there's a diversity of all these things, and, th- and that is of great benefit to the church, and he's going to give them three reasons why. The first is this, that the diversity of the gifts ensures that everyone has a gift to exercise. Verse 6, he says, God empowers in everyone. Verse 7, to each is given. To verse, verse 11, the spirit apportions to each one individually. Verse 18, God arranges the members in the body, each one of them. That, listen, that may not sound profound to us in 2024 in the church, but this would have been transformational in the early church. Everybody has a gift? Really? I thought the important people were the only ones that had the gifts. Everybody has a gift. And listen, if you're new to the idea of spiritual gifts and you're wondering really what spiritual gifts even are, it's, it's really not mysterious, even though it is somewhat um, miraculous that God gives Christians different abilities and he empowers those in each one of us uh, to accomplish his purpose in the church. And so it, that should raise a couple questions if you're new to this. What is your gift? And more importantly, are you using that gift to serve this congregation? Right? Because if we are all not serving then something is missing in this congregation, all right? And so, so I, I think what we're, we're going to see in this is that as everyone has a gift to exercise, we're going to see two different kind of emphasis in this chapter. You're going to hear all language, and you're going to hear each language. We're all in this together, but each of us has a part to play. So the, imagine it this way. Uh, you remember when you were giving gifts to your children on Christmas morning, or you remember that yourself on Christmas morning. Imagine your, your children come down uh, on Christmas morning, and they're so excited, and they're bouncing off the walls, and uh, they see the gifts under the tree, and, uh, and they come over to you, and they say, thank you, thank you so much for the gifts, best day of my life, and then they turn around and walk back upstairs and go back to bed. Uh, first of all, you'd be warming up the car to take them to the hospital. Uh, because that's not normal, Uh, wouldn't you have felt kind of cheated if that had happened? You didn't get the joy of seeing them open their gifts? Wouldn't you have felt maybe a little bit insulted that, you know, really, if you did appreciate the gifts, you would have opened them and used them, right? An unopened gift is a paradox, right? Gifts were made to be opened and used, right? So the question this morning is, are there any unopened gifts this morning? God has given you a gift to use to serve this congregation. And the diversity of gifts ensures that each one of us has a gift to exercise. The second thing that the diversity of the gifts ensures is the health and care of all in the body. Verse 7 says it's for the common good Verse 25 and 26, that the members may have the same care for one another. 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And he uses this, the most relatable analogy in all of the Bible, when he compares the church to the body, right? Um, audience participation of your, how many of you have a body? All right, that's everybody. So you can understand this analogy, right, at some level, that your body has many parts that, that involuntarily work together to take care of your body. You don't have to negotiate with your hand, right, when, when you go to lunch this afternoon to put food in your mouth. It just happens. The body works together beautifully, seamlessly, involuntarily to take care. And each part of the body is vitally important. Right? And the most important parts of the body are the ones you can't even see. And Paul uses this analogy of the body right, to describe how God has gifted the church. And he uses, the, I love the uh, language he uses, that members of a body. I wonder if that would challenge uh, the modern church's thinking on church membership. Right? Church membership really doesn't mean a lot anymore in the modern church, right? It's really not much different to being a member at Costco or a, or a member at um, a fitness center, right? Uh, and yet, I think Paul would say that membership in a church has much closer to members in a body than members in a club. I'm not vital uh, to Costco. Um, my wife is probably vital to Kohl's, but uh, we'll save that for later. <laughs> Uh, I'm not vital. I'm not, it's just a, that's just a, a, an organization that I get some benefit from. The church is a body, right? Costco doesn't need me. The church needs us, each and every one of us. It's important to see that. And this brings us to the second principle that Paul is teaching in this text. The first one is, is something from the Spirit or not? Is Jesus being exalted? The second principle, is the church being built up and served or not? Is the church being built up or is the individual being built up? It's, it's an important principle because this is the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of the gifts to exalt Jesus and to build the church. And listen, this is why it was so important in the first century. In this church in Corinth, they had raised certain gifts above the other gifts. And they called them the, the higher gifts or the greater gifts. And, and Paul even says that, desire the higher gifts or the greater gifts. But Paul's going to redefine what greater means. In chapter 14, he's going to compare two gifts. He's going to say, gift A is greater than gift B. And here's my criteria, church. Gift A serves the church. Gift B is just for the individual. Paul's saying you want a greater gift, then take the gift that you have and serve as many people as possible. That's the greater gift. Take whatever gift you have and use it to serve this congregation and to exalt Jesus. See, God's gifts are a little different than the gifts we give our children. The gifts we give our children are for them to open and use and enjoy well, God's gifts are intended to be used on others, not on ourselves. Uh, God's gifts were to pay it forward. We, are, we do not own those gifts. We are stewards of those gifts. And we are intended to, to use that. And then one day we will give an account for how we use the gift that God gave to us. 
But let me give you an example of how this played out in, in my own life and Polly's life. Uh, we got married young at 20, and um, we, we were going to Gray Road uh, at the, still at the time, and I was born in that church, and we, we decided that's where we were going to stay. And um, a 20-year-old married couple uh, is, is, was kind of a unicorn in our church. <laughs> there weren't a lot of those uh, around. We didn't really, there wasn't really a lot of people our age even. And, the, you know, in the, Sunday, the only Sunday school class that we could go to was full of old people. They were in their 30s. And, uh, and uh, we didn't really fit. I mean, we enjoyed that class and getting to, to know, you know some that were old and got a lot of counsel from them. But we didn't really feel like we fit. And that was probably the least content time in, my, in all my years at Gray Road. I just wasn't content. I wasn't happy. I wish we'd change this and change that and do this differently. Of course, I had it all figured out at 20, and um, and and just by chance, uh, we we found out that uh, there was some help needed in the high school class, and and th- listen, this wasn't super, some super spiritual thing. We we thought, hey, that sounds like it's kind of fun, right? They're a lot closer our age anyway. Why don't we go hang out with the, with the high school kids? And um, and we quickly realized that when we went into the high school class, that man, this is this is a really important group serve. They're making life-changing decisions. These are their formative years. We started investing in the lives of these teenagers and really leaning in and, and just, just listening to them and giving them counsel and sometimes negotiating between them and their parents. And, and, uh, and it, it, was, it was an amazing uh, thing. And it completely changed our perspective on church. And it was completely accidental. We just learned by doing that that we weren't coming to church uh, to get served. We were coming to church to serve. And it, and it, it drove our roots in that church deep. Because now we had a vested interest in what was going on there. And it just changed our perspective. That's how the gifts work. It's a beautiful thing when you invest your gifts into the church. And, um, and that's why the diversity of the gifts is important because each of us brings something different. The third thing that the diversity of the gifts ensures in the church, not only that everyone has a gift and the health and care of all in the body, it ensures honor and humility for all in the body. It's a really, really neat picture. This is something really different and um, almost mysterious about the church, that there's, there's honor for all and there's humility for all. Paul is dealing with two different things in this congregation in Corinth. He's dealing with, and they're equally damaging. The first one is that there was an inferiority in the church. And secondly, there was a superiority in the church. And, and we, we, we like to hammer this one, but this one is just as damaging. He, he's, he starts in verses 7 through 10 and reminds them that, that no one has all the gifts. And then later in 29 and 30, he reminds them that no one gift is given to everyone. So all the gifts matter. All the gifts are important. And, and he, he, he goes on in verse 14 uh, to 20 to deal with the inferiority in the church. There were people in that church that thought, you don't need me. You got it all figured out. You don't need me. And he, he says in verses 14 to 20, um, the foot 
should, the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And, and if the ear, in verse 16, should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Paul is dealing with this damaging mindset in the church where people are like, well, if I don't have one of the super spiritual gifts that they say are important, then I don't matter. You know, and if I don't go, you know, they're not going to miss me, and, you know, they, got, they don't need me. That is not true. Can you imagine if everybody, it's a good litmus test is to think uh, on, on how you think about the church, is ask the question, if everybody thinks the same way as I do about the church, what would, the, what would happen in the church? Can you imagine if everybody thought, well, the church doesn't need me, well, it wouldn't be a church much longer. There's no inferiority in the church because God is the one who gives the gifts. There is honor in every gift in the church. Of course, he deals with the flip side in, in verses 21 to 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head to the feet, I don't need you. Right? If you, They thought, oh, I've got this one of the, the greater gifts, the special gifts, so I don't need you people. Well, that's going to destroy the church too. Because God is the one that gives the gifts. Every gift has humility. And every gift has honor. It's a beautiful thing. Each one of us needs each other. You can't say that I don't need you. You can't say that you don't need me. And this, this brings us uh, to the third principle. First principle is Jesus exalted or not. Second principle is the church built up or not. The third principle, is there unity or is there division? Their superiority and inferiority was bringing division in the church. And, uh, and listen, I don't want to talk about other churches or other denominations, but I think we can make this statement with confidence about this church or any other church. If you take one gift and raise it above the others, and you say, well, if you're exercising that gift, then you're a higher class Christian, and if you're not exercising that gift, you're a lower class Christian, or you might not even be a Christian at all, what are you doing in the church among Christians? Are you uniting or are you dividing? So is that of the spirit or not? No. We can say that with absolute confidence. If your teaching on the gifts divides Christians, it's not of the spirit. It's going to destroy the church. We had a, a, a friend of ours share in Sunday school last week that when uh, his kids were, were young and still, you know, trying to figure out their faith and, and um, maybe even struggling at times, one of his family members told his kids, that you aren't Christians because you aren't speaking in tongues. Dividing the church. It's not from the Spirit. That's not the only gift, but that's the one that comes up most often. Some people would raise the, the teaching or the preaching gift. Anytime we're dividing the church, uh, you, can, you can be sure that it's not from the Spirit because the Spirit brings unity. The words one, same, many, all are, are mentioned, I think, 38 times in this chapter. The Spirit brings unity. Now, let me make sure 
we understand what we're not talking about here, though. We're talking about unity, not uniformity. A big difference. Uniformity, you know, everybody looks the same, dresses the same, has the same haircut, etc., and has this list, long list of extra biblical do's and don'ts that we all follow, and we have the same version of the or translation of the Bible, all that. The goal here is not uniformity, it's unity. Think about it this way. Imagine you've never seen uh, a marching band. And uh, you go to a football game, and at halftime, uh, this, you see this group of people walking out onto the field, and they all have the same uniforms, they have the same hats, the same shoes, they're walking in the same formation at the same speed, they line up in the same formation. And you know, you know, if you've never seen this before, you're like, well, this must be you know, an exercise in uniformity. Right? And then they start to play. And you look closer and you're like, wait a minute, they all have different instruments and they're all uh, playing different parts of the music and they're all walking in different directions. And if that was me, I'd be tripping all over everybody. And it's amazing kind of feats for the eyes and the ears. And, and you realize this isn't about uniformity at all. This is a beautiful picture of unity because there's one conductor. There's one piece of music. There's one tempo. And, it, and that diversity... Uh, produces a beautiful unity. It's an apt picture for the church. All this diversity, all these different gifts. There's one conductor, right? There's one piece of music. There's one purpose. And each one of us is part of that purpose. So let's look a little closer at the unity of the gifts and why that is important and how that is enabled. It's enabled by three different things. The first is that the gifts are enabled, the unity of the gifts is enabled by the same giver. And it, it's a neat picture. Um, Paul starts with the uh, kind of the triunity of God in verses four through six. It's the you know, varieties of gifts, the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. That's the spirit, the son, the father. And then he goes on in verses 7 through 11 to emphasize the work of the Spirit. In, in verse uh, 12 to 14, he emphasizes the work of Jesus. And then in 15 on, he emphasizes the work of the Father. One giver. And I love this quote on this um, unity. That uh, this is not accidental unity like people on a bus, right? You might just happen to be in the right place at the same place at the same time with somebody on a bus. It's not forced unity like students in a classroom. You were assigned there and you really didn't have any choice. Or unity by affinity. You just happen to root for the same team. This is unity by design. Each member is gifted for a purpose and performs each part for the good of the whole. You know what that means? This is neat. If you're here, a part of this congregation, uh, it is by design. It is not accident. It is not random. You may have been born into this church. Uh, you may have moved here. Somebody asked you to come. You might have just been driving by. If you're here, though, it is on purpose. God has designed the church on purpose. Purpose. Look at how many intentional design words we see in this text. Verse 11, God apportions 
to each one individually as he wills. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. Verse 24, God has so composed the body. Verse 28, he has appointed in the church. You see the intentional design there? Do you really think that, that God's going to leave his church to chance? There's an intentional design in the church, and the unity comes from the fact that there's one giver. And I think this brings us to our fourth principle. Is Jesus exalted? Is it from the Spirit or not? Is Jesus exalted? Is the church built up? Is there unity or division? Is there order in the church or disorder? The Corinthian church did not understand the purpose, and that led to uh, disorder. And they couldn't recognize what was from the Spirit of God or not, and that led to chaos in that church. The church, God's church, anything led by the Spirit, there is going to be order. So the same giver brings order. The second thing that the unity of gifts is enabled by is the same purpose. And we've talked about this already, right? The the purpose of the church is to exalt Jesus and to build up or the church. The purpose of the gifts is to exalt Jesus and to build up the, the church. And, uh, and, and we see, again, this, this uh, intentional design in this. And, and there's an emphasis on the teaching gifts and on interpretation, which I think leads us to the fifth principle, that if something is from the Spirit or not, there will be clarity and not confusion. There was no clarity in that church. It, listen, if you're, if you're a, a, a leader or a teacher or you're communicating uh, truth to, to somebody in, in counseling or giving advice from the word, you need to take seriously the amount of preparation that needs to go into that to make sure you can communicate clearly. And ask the Spirit to help you teach clearly. The Spirit brings clarity, not confusion. It's really important uh, to see that. And so these, uh, these five principles here, is Jesus exalted, the church built up, unity, order, clarity. Uh, let, me, let me show you how that can be very valuable in conversations about spiritual gifts. Probably the biggest question about spiritual gifts in the church and in denominations, and that, is, that has gone on for centuries, and I doubt we're going to solve this in the next three minutes, but the biggest question is, well, all these gifts that were normal in the first century church have all those gifts continued to today, or have certain gifts ceased? The debate on that rages on to this day. Well, um, first of all, I would say start with the principles. But let me give you an example of how I applied these principles recently uh, when we went on a trip to India. Uh, to see the work that we support there, uh, an organization called the Delhi Bible Institute. I don't know if you know of them, but Isaac Shaw leads that ministry. We've supported them for years, and their goal is to plant thousands and thousands of churches in North India. 
and they had these seminaries all over North in India called ashrams, and we got to see these seminaries. And men are coming from all over North India, from villages in North India, that don't have any, don't have any churches, don't have any missionaries, don't have any Bibles. Men are coming from those villages to these seminaries to become pastors, to be sent back to their village to to, to start the first church in human history in that village some of which are thousands of years old. And so we go over there and uh, we, we get to hear them tell their testimony. And, and I, have, I only have one question. Maybe you had the same question. Well, wait a minute. If you're in this village and there's no missionaries and there's no Bibles and there's no churches, how in the world did you come to Jesus in the first place, right? How are you even here? And so... We listened to them tell their stories, and we started hearing this common theme. That we had a, I had a dream or I had a vision, something where they were confronted with Jesus in this dream. Or a messenger of Jesus, and they, and they said, you need to go find a Bible. You need to go, there's a person that's going to be in your area tomorrow. You need to go find them. You need to learn more about Jesus. And that began their journey to faith in Jesus. And, um, and, and you know, we, we hear that. And, you know, if that happened here this morning, if somebody walked in the door and said, I had a dream last night, told me to come here to church, we might be a little skeptical, right? And, and we have certain views on how the Spirit works. Right? But it's not our job to dictate to the Spirit what the Spirit will still do, especially in the darkest places in the world that look a lot like the first century, right? In the first century, these, a lot of these gifts were really necessary because you know, the, the gospel has not been established, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles have not been authorized. There were a lot of things that were needed in that early church. Right, that even as you go through the, the New Testament, the later books don't even mention some of those early gifts that were necessary. But, but we aren't in a position to say, all right, well, Spirit, I'm going I'm to let you know what you can do and not do uh, to fulfill your purpose, to exalt Jesus and to build a church. Well, the Spirit's doing some pretty amazing things in these dark places in the world. And it's not my job to say, well, I'm not comfortable with that. That's not the way we do things in my church. Go to the principles. And what happened with these men was Jesus exalted, yes. Was the church built up? Yes. There's thousands of churches that have started this way in North India. You hear the same thing in Muslim countries. Is there unity, order, and clarity from everything that we can see? Yes. And then the, the last clue is that there is lasting change. These men gave up everything to come be trained to be pastors, to go back to be persecuted and start a church in their village. You, you see how these principles take out the denominations and take out the preferences and take out you know, what I think is right or wrong. Go back to the principles. Let them answer the question. And it doesn't have to be something even that dramatic. I, I, you know, uh, Several years ago, Oprah was on TV all the time, and she had the most popular show, and a lot of Christians watched the show, and and uh, people described Oprah as a spiritual person. And she would say all kinds of spiritual things. Well, I would ask the same questions. Was Jesus exalted? Nope. Was the church built up? Nope. Was there unity? 
Is there clarity? No, nope, there was a lot of confusion among Christians. So you know it wasn't from the Spirit. These, these um, uh, ads that were, or commercials that were on the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago, he gets us, right? Uh, talking about Jesus. Well, let's, was Jesus exalted? Well, he was, he was certainly, uh, people were made more aware of Jesus. I guess the more question is, was the biblical Jesus exalted? I think that's a fair question. But it sure brought a lot of confusion in the church. It probably is a clue. Princi these principles are useful. But can I say one thing on that, though? Uh, a lot of Christians have kind of trashed the, those commercials, and uh, you know that's not the way I would have spent $10 million. That's probably true. Um, but 10, 100 million people saw that. And a lot of those people had questions. Whether we agreed with exactly how it was presented or not, man, we better be ready to engage. Oh, you want to know more about Jesus? Well, let's talk about this Jesus and why he came. The reason he, he gets us is because he, God came to, to, to earth to be human. And so he does understand what it's like to be human. But he didn't come to get us. He came to save us. Let's talk about that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If somebody has questions about the gospel, wherever they started, we need to be ready, right? to point them to Jesus and why he really came. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say here about the unity of the gifts is that not only do they have the same giver and the same purpose, they have the same power. And this takes us back to that honor and humility picture, right? Because God is powering them all. They all have honor and they all have humility. With that in mind, can I encourage you uh, to do something in this church, make this a regular practice of yours in this church individually. Um, can I encourage you to affirm other people that God is using in this congregation and encourage them? Uh, and, and by doing that, there's three powerful words that you can use to encourage somebody that is serving in this church. And they aren't, you are awesome. These are not the three words. Uh, start start your encouragement with these three words. God used you. God used you to encourage me. God used you to help me. God used you to challenge me. God used you to teach me from his word. God used you in my kids' lives. God used you. You know what that does? It gives their service honor because God used them. But it also gives their service humility because God used you. It's a powerful thing. I, I would really encourage you to find somebody that today or this week, make a note because you know you'll forget, to encourage somebody who has encouraged you in this congregation or served you in some way. It's a powerful thing. Let me share my journey, um, how this affected my journey, changed the course of my life. Uh, I told you Polly and I were working in the high school class, just kids, 21, 22 at this point, and um, uh, the youth pastor at the time came up to me and said, uh, Kevin, I've been watching you, I've been listening to you, you, know, you, have a, you have a gift in communicating the word you need to be teaching in this congregation, and uh, I'm going to be gone next Sunday, so you're teaching the high school class. Uh, by the way, I would not recommend that approach. Uh, 
but uh, I was like, I, you know, I was like, I have no desire to teach, and especially teach the high school class. That's terrifying. And but I trusted him, and um, and so I started to prepare. As I've started to prepare that week, and if you ever taught and gone through the pro pro process of preparing to teach, uh, I discovered a joy and a purpose and a passion. I didn't know I, ha I even had, and uh, I'm pretty sure that that first Sunday was quite excruciating to listen to, <laughs> uh, and yet I knew uh, that I had found my purpose in the church, and uh, that, that has led to 30 plus years of teaching and preaching almost every Sunday. It changed my life, because somebody saw something in me I didn't even see in myself, and they, and they, they affirmed that in me. That's what God often uses the affirmation of other believers to affirm your gifts. And so uh, please begin that practice or continue that practice if you're not doing that already individually. It can really transform uh, a congregation. Uh, let me close with uh, this thought. Uh, and you guys already know this from last week, but um, this, this week... Uh, Third week of February is the uh, anniversary of the greatest sporting event in U.S. history. 44 years ago, the uh, U.S. hockey team, a bunch of college kids beat the, uh, the Soviet uh, professional team. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Uh, I love that story. It, it, it's my favorite sports movie. Uh, uh, there's so many things to love about that. I love the, the geopolitical landscape and complexity behind it all. But my favorite part of that story is uh, how that team came together. The, uh, the coach, Herb Brooks, uh, was a successful college coach, and um, he knew all the college players. And, and, uh, and the college game is very uh, territorial and lots of heated, hated rivalries. You had a bunch of Boston guys, and you had a bunch of Minnesota guys, and a bunch of Michigan guys, and they all hated each other. And he brings them all together on this team. And, um, and, of course, it doesn't start well in that they, they, you know, they're enemies and uh, they don't play together and they don't play well. It's going pretty poorly. And, and Coach Brooks decides pretty early on that he's going to need a unifying force to bring this team together. And that unifying force was going to be their abject hatred for him. And so he did things to them uh, that today I think would be illegal. Uh, made it so hard, so difficult, so harsh with them that it forced them to come together just to survive. And, um, and they, they, they found out that, hey, we're not that different. And their the chemistry started to develop and a camaraderie and they came together. And actually a lot of them are still close friends to this day, right? That, that unity brought them together and they grew then together and matured and became much more than the sum of their parts. They had no business uh, going to the Olympics and winning the gold medal on paper, that made no sense at all, but they became more than the sum of their parts because uh, uh, that unifying force and strong leadership, right, brought them together. And they asked Herb Brooks, uh, you know, how did you put that team together? And he said, well, I wasn't looking for the best players. I was looking for the right ones. And I, I took the specific skills and roles and even personalities and temperaments and leadership and I brought all that together because I knew if, if they came together, they could compete. And I thought, if a college coach takes that much care and design 
to, to put together a hockey team. How much more care and design could our sovereign, all-knowing, all-wise creator put into designing the church? The bride for his own son, the bridegroom. God has brought each and every one of us together for a specific purpose. You are not here by accident. If, if we all are not serving the church, then this church is not what it could be. It's not as effective as it could be. It's not as healthy as it could be. We're not reaching as many people as we could be. God has designed the church and he gives Christians diverse gifts to unify and serve the church to accomplish his purpose. And each one of you is a part of that purpose. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word and we are grateful that it teaches us who we are in light of who you are. And um, God, would you bless this congregation? Uh, would you unite them? Would you make them effective in the ministry of the gospel? Would you grow them together? Would you mature them? Would they impact uh, this city uh, for the sake of the gospel and for your glory? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.